So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you may also, or you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thanks, Abby. Well, good morning again. Happy New Year again. Uh, my name's Sean, uh, the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. If I don't know you, love to get to know you. I'll be out in the, the lobby afterwards. Um, just know if you are new and uh, for 2018, you plan on making this place your home. Um, the best way to be involved in everything that we do is going to be redemption communities. Uh, and so if you want to get in one, what I would suggest to you is to join a Start Here class, which uh, starts next week. It's the first three weeks of every month, and uh, you can get involved in that way. Uh, just text the word CONNECT to 623-850-4690, and we'll get you connected that way, uh, just to, to be aware of that. I also want to give you a heads up, if you weren't here last week, to know that uh, from the worship night, the recording that came out is available for download for free uh, if you want to. I think there's some, yeah, just go to redemptionpeoria.bandcamp.com and uh, you can download it uh, there and, and it's free again. So super excited to, to do this. I, I want to just give you a big heads up going into next week and then we'll jump into what we're going to do today and I'll explain why we're doing it. Um, next week, we're going to start the book of Ephesians and um, we're going to do a little bit differently. If, if you're not used to exegetical, expository type preaching, we're going to take a long time to go through um, the, the book of Ephesians, a long time, most of next year. Um, and as we do that, we felt like the best way to um, get our mind around the book in general, hopefully you, you have opportunities to read it, is next week we're just going to read Ephesians. Um, I'm not going to be up here. We're going to worship. Uh, and then we have some readers who will read, and if, uh, even some of them have memorized uh, big chunks of Ephesians, and we're just going to read through it as a church, go through the whole book, um, and worship, uh, you know, intermingled in all of that. So I'm really excited to be aware of that, because uh, it should be really good. We're going to read the book of Ephesians like the original readers read. Okay, I, well, whatever. We're living it out. You could be excited or not. I am. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, so here's, here's what we're going to do today. Uh, this Sunday is always unique, and the time of Advent is, is kind of special in general. Um, obviously, what happens is people tend to go home, and, and there's not as many uh, students, not just GCU students, but just students, college students in general. Maybe they're back visiting, or for the most part, they're gone. And usually the people um, who are here, you and I who are here now on this Sunday, are really the people who call Redemption Peoria their home, unless they're uh, visiting a family member from, from uh, out of town or something, they're, they're here. But for the most part, those of you who attend Redemption Peoria here, this is kind of a sweet time for me, at least as a pastor, um, because... This is where we get, like, who we are. This is us. This is um, our people. When I think of Redemption Peoria, this is who I, I think about. And so um, that, that's a, an advantage uh, that we have on this Sunday to talk about certain things that we wouldn't normally get to talk about. But more than that, um, this Sunday specifically, the Sunday between Advent going into 2018 um, and then into 19, the same Sunday, 20, and in my mind at least forever, for Redemption Peoria is always going to be Unique, And here's why. It was um, at this time last year that this was not happening. Um, if you're new to Redemption Peoria, uh, this time last year on this Sunday, I stood up here with the elders uh, and, and I was asked to step down as the lead pastor for Redemption Peoria and uh, put on a leave of absence. And uh, that was put in place for about five months uh, and it was tough. It was real tough. And there were about 
Uh, if you don't know, last um, sun- the Sunday that, that was this Sunday last year was the first Sunday of 2018, so it was after New Year's Eve, so there was like 15 people here, um, and there's nobody here. So we're communicating this huge thing that's going to be taking place. No one's here, and of course from that, the trickle-down effect is um, a bunch of things that were just were said weren't true. Even to this day, I'm still asked if I slept with the secretary or I stole money. Um, I'm not kidding. There's still things that just aren't true that were said in that process. And it was rough. Um, and, and the reason that took place um, wasn't for any of those reasons. It wasn't because of sin or anything else. It was honestly, there's a lot of unhealth within me as our church uh, really grew really fast. There's a lot of unhealth um, uh, with us as elders. And, and uh, Jim, Vince, and John really thought it would best, hey, let's breathe for a moment. Really trust what God's doing uh, in Redemption Peoria because it's not the Sean show. And let's see what he does. And, and God showed up um, during that period of time. He reminded me that this is uh, his church. This is the church of Jesus. Uh, and, and I would say church of Jesus Christ. But of course, that then it goes, you just add Latter-day Saints and it doesn't melt. Um, so, so uh, here, here's, here's what I wanted to, to, to do this Sunday is um, I want to read a, a part of a text. Um, if you're new, usually we, I'm kind of cold, uh, usually we, uh, we get into this expository exegetical preaching um, and it's not very topical, but today is going to be pretty topical. Um, and I'm just going to grab five words and I'm going to try to defend why in that time, and my, my point isn't to do that, but why in my heart, why did uh, Sean Myers choose church planning? Why did we gather as elders and choose church planning? Why are you here? Why uh, do we continue to gather together? What is going on? What makes this thing special? What is different? Why is this worth fighting for? And I'm glad that it's those who are in the room are doing it. I'm glad that it's this Sunday that we get to do it. So um, our passage that we're going to be going through is not in Ephesians 2. It's actually in Matthew 16. And Abby came up and read Ephesians 2 as a a taste. As you can hear uh, the words that she read, that we're going to get into the nuances of what we're going to talk about in the book of Ephesians for here. But our passage is actually in Matthew 16. Um, so it's not even a passage, to be honest with you. It's five words that I want to uh, break down. And it's the words that Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And here's the context of what's going on uh, when Jesus makes this declaration. It's surrounded by two of the most um, argued about sections of scripture in all of the Bible. It's argued on the front end as Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, you are Peter and on this rock, i.e. his name, on this rock I will build my church. And it's been argued, what does he mean? Is he building the church on the rock of Peter? That's been debated for many years. And then after this, it gets into Jesus telling the disciples, whatever you bind on earth will be, or, uh, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And that's been debated over and over and over again as well. So in the, the, the confines of the context, I'm not going to be able to unpack the, the, the bookends of this. I want to just focus in on these five words. But for the sake of context, hear it out. You're going to have to open your Bible. I don't got something on the screen for you. Verse 13 of chapter 16 in Matthew. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, 
And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, again, I don't have time to unpack, but for the sake of context, Jesus is talking with Peter. Who do you say that I am? He says, I am the Christ. Well, God must have shown you that, Peter, because you're right. And so uh, in this declaration, Peter, where we get our word Petros from, the word rock, this idea is he's saying, Peter, and I have some um, opinions as to exactly what he's saying, but forget who he's talking to for a moment. Um, Just hear the declaration, I will build my church. I, Jesus talking, will build my Jesus talking church. Uh, and and um, if you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with this statement. So um, to kind of uh, counterbalance the familiarity of it, I want to go over it backwards. And I want to start with the word church. Again, if you, you grew up in church, you know what the word church is. It's the word ecclesia. If you're not familiar, let me give you a little bit of background on this. Uh, Ecclesia comes from two Greek words. Um, To come out of, ek, you can add this to any word in Greek, a preface preface before any word, you can add it. You can go out of the house, out of the car, whatever you want, ek. And then kalos, where we get our word call from. It simply means to be called out of something. Um, A lot of your translations that you're reading right now say the word congregation. And if I had to be honest, that's a really good translation. Here's why uh, that's a really good translation. Somebody today, uh, some, kind of, some kind of event could happen, and somebody could blast Facebook and Twitter and whatever else, and they could say, we need to meet at the Capitol. And all that's happening as they gather from this calling of, on Facebook or Twitter is they are gathering in, and the police will literally say they're congregating together. There's this congregation that's gathering together, and they have left the general populace to gather at the state capitol. This is Ecclesia. Ecclesia was before the, the, the New Testament in Greek, and it will be there and has been afterwards. It's just a gathering. But what you may not know is there's this other word, kairokos, in Greek, which, and uh, let me just stop real quick. Um, I'm not trying to drop greek bombs i'm always super self-conscious of that like look at sean he knows greek okay i don't know greek very well i just i look really cool when i say it so i want to do it as often as i can okay but this word kairokos is is goes part and parcel with the word church uh in greek and and it means like the lord's people and the reason that's important is um when jesus says i will build my church he's saying i will build my congregation but it is a certain type of congregation this kairokos is the lord's people it's a lord's people that has gathered and been pulled from the genuine populace now if you know your old testaments you're super familiar with this language because this is exactly what god does in the old testament what he does is he calls israel out from the other nations, and he reminds them over, Moses reminds them over and over and over again in Deuteronomy, it's not because of how great you were, calls them out and makes an ecclesia of types, makes a congregation, a gathered people. And we, and, and there's some fancy terms that you can debate, and I know the theological necks in the room are licking their chops. There's dispensational replacement theology that we can argue about all day. But hear me when I say this, at, at the core of what we're trying to get at is we reflect what God has always been trying to do as a church. We are a removed people from the genu- general populace that, are, uh, that bear the Lord's name. We are the ecclesia. So this is what Jesus is talking about. And the word before that group of people, the Lord's people, the gathering of the congregation, not the buildings, but you and I in this room, he uses the word my. Now, you don't need to know Greek 
to know what the word my means. You just need a two-year-old. Now, now let, let's stop and meditate on the word my for a second, can we? Because this is, this is what's crazy about the, the culture we swim in in Christianity. It would it'd be low-bearing fruit for me to, to, to look at the celebrity pastor uh, era that we live in and start to point out things that people are not in our camp. But let's just name some people that we do love and trust and, and believe are, are in our camp. Hear me. Um, w- when we hear this statement, John MacArthur is not talking. John Piper is not talking. The pastor you grew up with is not talking. Jesus is talking. Do you understand? So, so listen, in 200 years, and I've said this 50 times since we've planted, but hear it again. No one will know who Sean Myers is. I'm telling you. Listen, I, I've tried to share this with you before. I've been in room with junior hires before asking them, do you know who Wilt Chamberlain is? Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points. And hear me, this, you can believe me or not, one of the girls, she's a Native American girl, she didn't know who Michael Jordan was. Michael Jordan. Do you understand who Michael Jordan is? You guys, he's a basketball player. He's like the best ever. Do you understand? It wasn't like 50 years ago either. Like he was in the 90s. No one's going to know who Sean Myers is in 200 years. Listen, we'll be forgotten. If, if we think for a moment this my is my church, my kingdom, my sect of believers, whatever it is. And that's just not coming from me or the elders. Hear me. No one's going to know who you are. <laughs> no one's going to know who you are. Redemption Peoria planted in 2015. No, I don't remember to this day all the people that were in that room. Hear me. When we hear this word, my, I need you to understand Jesus is talking. Jesus makes a declaration. Look at me. Those are my congregants. Those are my people. Yes, there can be the assemblies of God, the Christian Reformed churches, the Presbyterians, and the Lutherans, but Jesus says those are my people. This is Jesus' church, and MacArthur, and Piper, and Chandler, and Driscoll are under shepherds. They're under shepherds. They, 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 for a moment, get to watch the flock while Jesus goes away. But he will return, and don't get it twisted, it's Jesus' church. Now, I will build, in Greek is, is one word. Again, dropping the Greek bombs, okay? Now, th- this word build um, is also the same word for edify. And this is where um, it's really important that, that we kind of step back and recognize that there are ter- certain types of ways of doing church. Now, maybe you grew up, I know I didn't grow up in a Reformed church, um, but there are ways to look at gathering uh, mailers, programs, systems, ministries, all good. But hear me, you going to your neighbor, inviting them to church and coming to church and we go from 500 to 501 you did not grow the church you did not build the church jesus in that moment was already doing something in your neighbor you came over and said words that were led by jesus jesus then turns this person's heart around jesus then continues to give them motivation to come to church guess who built his church jesus So at the center, if we're going to err on anything in 2018, 19, 20, 250, I don't care what it is, we're going to err on the side of recognizing Jesus is the center. And man, did God remind us of this at the early part of 2017. (laughs) 
not only, um, so this is where it becomes like super candid and, and awkward. Sometimes. I know like people, I, I love how you preach. I, I love it. Here's what's crazy. We grew when I was away. We grew. Sean Myers doesn't build Redemption Peoria. Jesus builds his church. I mean, Josh Miles, he's okay. You know what I'm saying? He's not even that good. Actually, he knows. I think he's the best worship pastor I've ever had. Um, so all that to say, um, I want to tell you a story. And, um, and, and this story is the best, I think, the best thing I can do for us to understand how we got here. And I don't mean redemption Peoria. I mean the church. The declaration that Jesus says, I will build my church, is not just a statement, but him saying, I will build. I wholeheartedly believe Jesus is looking down the corridors of time going, no, 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 I will do it. In that moment, he's stirring something up to spark from, his, from the cross to the resurrection to do something. So we're aware that Jesus and his 12 disciples are, are in process. Eventually, if you follow your gospels well enough, you, you see 72 followers uh, coming around Jesus, and eventually thousands of people are following him. Unfortunately, what we see is, uh, as the, the book of Acts opens up, only 120 are there. Now, that's not to say there aren't other followers, but there's 120 in this room. The Holy Spirit moves Thousands of people are added, and hear me, Jesus builds his church. Now, what we find from that moment is things that we can read in the book of Acts. The gospel continues to grow. To what extent, we don't know. I mean, it goes everywhere, but we end up in Rome, where ultimately we're going to come from. And hear me, Jesus is building his church. And as the book of Acts closes, what you may not know, from about 60 AD to 250 AD, all those original disciples slowly start to die off by being martyred. John's the only one who ends up dying of old age. And all those disciples make disciples who make disciples. And we get guys like Justin Martyr, Polycarp, uh, Origen. And from 60 AD to 250 AD, But there's something else that's going on as Jesus is building his church. See, um, as the Christians are in Rome, man, Rome hates them. You have to imagine, you're in a culture now that celebrates orgies, and Christians are going, I can't partake. They're celebrating worshiping other gods. I can't partake. They say, to be a Roman citizen, you have to say, Caesar is Lord. But the Christians go, I can't do that, and they're slaughtered. There's this guy, Nero, who's accused of starting this fire in Rome. It's so bad, and when he starts this fire, he he needs to blame someone. So guess who he blames? He blames the Christians. And at this point, the Christians are being slaughtered in the arenas. Slaughtered. There are stories after stories of our brothers and sisters during this period of time. So much so, the Christians in that time called it the baptism of the blood. Who's really in? Because if you're really in, you know you're going to die. But look at me, Jesus builds his church. Now, from that point in 312, there's this guy named Constantine, which I know um, there's a lot of false things about him that are said in our culture. But just know this, he eventually takes uh, power in Rome. He's the Roman emperor. He does it under the banner of Jesus, which is another story altogether. But Constantine makes Christianity legal. Now, this changes the game. And it's good and bad, y'all, because here's what happens. As Christianity becomes kind of the Roman religion, it's really good now because now Christians can gather and congregate together without um, being persecuted. But it's bad because now the church doesn't know who is in or who is out. It's hard to to understand. And this is where it gets really wearisome for for, for us as uh, believers as we know that Jesus is building his church. It's, It's hard to see because in 325, now the churches can gather. We get the first council. 
It's the Council of Nicaea. So now there's all these questions because as more believers have jumped on board and their life isn't at, at risk here, more believers, more believers, more believers comes more and more ways to believe, more and more opinions. And so they have to have these councils over and over and over again. And as they have these councils, there's differing opinions. And so there starts to be this split. There's this Western church, the, the Roman Catholicism, and there's this Eastern church from about 325 to 500 AD. We don't need to go through all the councils. They're, they're starting to split. And so you get eventually from these two categories, Greek Orthodox and Roman Catholicism, but they're still together. From 325 to 500 AD, they're, they're still together. The church is holding it together, but, but now it's syncretized with the culture. It's a mess. But look at me. Jesus builds his church. Okay, so take that timeline. And as, as, as uh, tensions begin to grow through the two churches, something really strange starts to happen. Um, Rome starts to crumble, and the governing authorities aren't there anymore. And so you know who the people look to at that time? The only governing, systematized, organized group that is out there. The Christians. They have bishops. They have deacons. They have organizations. And so in 800, a guy named Charlemagne appoints himself as, and I quote, the Holy Roman Emperor. For the first time ever, church and state is mixed at a whole new level. And so as it's mixed, again, good and bad, this becomes super detrimental to what God is doing. But, but, but hear me, Jesus is building his church. You go from this point to, uh, in 1054, those two different churches, the West and the East, Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholicism, 1054, there's something called the Great Schism. They, they split all together. Now, we have to, in our, in our history, follow one of these, and we're going to follow Roman Catholicism because that's where we come out of. Now, if it hasn't been bad enough that the church is splitting the way that it is, it gets worse. Because now as we move into this time from uh, what we got, we got from 10, about 60 to 1254, we get something called the Crusades, which you don't have to be Christian to know what those are, right? It's the Holy Wars. You get a period of time where now the Holy Roman Emperor is working part and parcel with the Pope. And the Pope is telling men and women, but predominantly men, hey, listen. Um, your mom is dead, and she's in this place that's in between heaven and hell. She's going to be there a while. If you go to war for me, I can get her out. And so we're super upset as to why Christians uh, would go to war the way that they did, with no sympathy and recognizing that there's great deception going on. And for, for, for this period of time of 200 years, basically, you have seven crusades that go on. And it's a bloodbath, and it's a black eye in Christianity. But look at me. Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds his church. Now, you, you can process in that moment, man, why did the church not just listen? Why did the church not just pick up the Bible on their own? Well, here's the problem. Here's what's going on within Roman Catholicism. It's only written in Latin. So the, the common person can't read Latin, and so the priests are now doing all kinds of things as they enter into the Dark Ages. They're telling people exactly what the Pope told these soldiers. They're telling them if they touch Peter's skull, if they go up this slide of fit, stairs, if they say a certain amount of Hail Marys, and it's bad. But look at me. Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds his church. And to prove it, eventually what we get is in the 1300s, a guy named John Wycliffe comes along. And he's had enough, and he believes that the church needs to be reformed. And so he takes the Bible that's written in Latin, he writes, writes it uh, and translates it into what is English at the time, which the church did not like. And now people can read 
over and over these texts. But not everyone even can read that English thing. So a guy named John Huss follows John Whitecliffe in the 1400s. Now, John Huss's nickname, a.k.a. The Bull, I'm not making that up, legit nickname, okay? He comes along and he carries on what Whitecliffe was already doing. As Huss is burned at the stake, he declares 100 years from now, someone else will come up and take up this mantle. And that's exactly what happens. He dies in 1415 and 1517. A guy named Martin Luther sees 95 things that are wrong with the church. He takes them, nails them to a church door, walks away, and we have the Protestant Reformation. If you're not familiar with where you stand in this whole thing, know that you are Protestant, if you are Christian in the room. That from that moment, we split off as, as Protestants from the Catholic Church. Now, an insane amount of good has come from this, but it actually gets worse before it gets better. Um, first of all, uh, we get a, a big names during this time. In the next hundred years, we're going to get uh, Calvin, uh, we're going to get Zwingli, we're going to get, um, I don't know, a few other guys that are probably important somewhere in there. Um, we're going to get all these guys that, that come from this. But, but here's the, the bigger problem, because it's not the story of men, it's the story of the church. And here's what we have. We have from Luther nailing those 95 problems that he sees with the church, the church, the Protestants break off, and they can't stop breaking off because we get our Anabaptist traditions from that moment. We get our Anglican traditions from that moment. We get our Reformed traditions from that moment. We, we get all these different traditions, and they just start killing each other. Now, if it's not bad enough that they're killing each other, someone else eventually takes power. Now, this queen who takes power now, the church has grown from Rome and is in England. This woman who takes power is named Mary, and she does not like the Protestants. She does not like you and I. And a matter, matter of fact, it's so bad that it's a part and parcel with what Nero did very early on, and she starts slaughtering protestants she gets the nickname bloody mary but very similar to what happened let's go back remember what happened with nero as he was hating christians and slaughtering them and constantine took power and then and then uh the church now was legalized that's what happens for mary when eventually we get to king james you may, may be familiar with king james in 1611 he came out with the king james bible now king james loves protestants loves them and so from 1611 uh moving on what you happen is this crazy um small growing within the protestants uh into the 1700s where you get this something called this great awakening because what's happening is people were tired of the fighting people were tired of the arguing people were tired of the debating our church as jesus is building his church he looks and he goes i need to do something i'm stepping in here i'm in control and he causes the people to wake up and so from guys like george whitfield and the wesley brothers in the 1700s into the 1800s with god's like guys like charles spurgeon Enough said, okay? So you, you, get, you get these guys into the second great awakening with, with Finney. You, you get uh, even uh, people known as, as Billy Graham. You obviously heard that name into the 20th century. God wakes up these people, and, and hear me, over and over, we're reminded while all this is going on, the good, the bad, the splitting into many, many denominations. Look at me. Jesus builds his church. Matthew 16, 18 was not just some false promise. It was not words to the wind. I will, he has, and he will continue to build his church. Maybe you don't believe me. Let me share something from Oxford Press uh, uh, with you. World Christianity, which started with 12 men, 120 people in the room, consists of six major ecclesiological blocks, church blocks, divided into 300 major ecclesiological traditions, composed of 30,000 distinct denominations in 238 countries. Now, 
from 12 people to 120 people to thousands of people. Now we get, uh, of the 7 billion people who are on the earth, 2.2 billion of them profess to be Christian. Now maybe you can say, well, not all of those traditions, not all of those denominations are okay. I'm just telling you, numerically, this is what people profess to be Christian. This is how they profess to be Christian. 2.2 billion people profess. Now here's what's hard for us to know as we tell that story. It's hard for us to rejoice in it. Because some of you grew up in a culture that just being American is being Christian. Listen to me. You need to go to Africa. You need to go to South America. I, I don't know what to tell you what's going on in Asia, in these countries, but God is moving. He is moving. And you may feel like you're stuck. You may feel like the church is eh. The church ain't eh in Asia. God is still building his church he is still moving this is something far bigger than us at the end of it all in 200 years you know who we want them to remember not me not you but jesus we're like clotheslining on this timeline and the ultimate story leads to his return and on judgment day we'll stand there and all we want to hear is i was a servant i was a servant This is good news for us. This is real good news for us. That Jesus builds his church. Now, um, I had a slew of of texts that I wanted to remind you of that because it tends to be more topical in what we're talking about. But I want to read just one. And it's actually from Eugene Peterson's translation, which I would argue the message, if you have it, I love you, but I don't think it's a translation, more of a commentary. Um, I want to read how he translates or comments on 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're not familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's a chapter in which uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians that we'll uh, uh, read in 2018, he begins to break down how the body works together and how it goes together and how it continues to operate together. And this is what he says, this is his translation, which I think is helpful, his commentary on it. And talking about the church as a body, he says this, I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. Are you hearing me? If this is your home, if you consider yourself a Protestant evangelical, here you are, listen to this. We are part of the body of Christ, part of what Jesus said he's going to build. I want you to think about how all of this makes you more significant, not less A body is not just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but smaller parts arranged and functioning together. Now he goes on to describe a foot and a hand and all of that. Now as it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. But I also want you to think about how how this keeps keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body. It would be a monster. Important parts are, and, and non-important parts, he continues to go on to talk about from this point and says this. And then I'll start to rally up with three more sentences. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on each other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, Every part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into exuberance. Last line, you ready? You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. We're doing it. 
You're working in children's ministry every other week. You're doing it. Like you welcome people at the doorway. You're doing it. You feel like it's, you're doing it. You're in living rooms with people who aren't like you. And, and it's not always easy to go. Believe me, we host. And there are nights when I don't want to open the doors. But hear me, when, when they come in and we sit, we pray, we hold each other accountable, we laugh, we study. Look at me. You're doing it. Jesus is building his church. And, and you may not see this now. But I promise, give somebody, let, let the, the older folks in the room have a voice and hear what they say. There's moments when you get to look back in your Christianity with nostalgia. You go, that was a period where the spirit was moving in. It was so sweet. Hear me. We're doing it. God is moving. And I believe God is moving and building redemption Peoria. So here's how I want to finish. I want to finish with celebrating in that fact. And then I want to give you a quote from Martin Luther King. Um... If you not, are not involved and, and you're not from out of town, you're here and you're saying, okay, I want to be in. I, I know there's New Year's resolutions coming around the corner left and right. But if you're saying, I want to be involved at Redemption Peoria on a greater level, I want to be in. Something that we started really early on was our membership process. And it's really fallen to the wayside. And, and this early part of this year didn't help that. Um, and so we as elders, we're trying to be as intentional as possible to get this moving. And so I want to give you handlebars and how you can be involved. And then I want to give something to celebrate. On January 28th, between services at 1020 a.m., between first and second service, for 15 to about 20 minutes, we're going to gather in this room. And if you are a member, you consider yourself a member, or you want to be a member of Redemption Peoria, we're going to gather here. Okay, that's going to be the starting place. If you've gone from the start here class and you have all these questions, we're going to answer everything we can answer on that day. Now, we have a list of people, but you have to understand something. Um, Sean Myers was the only paid person on staff when we planted. So the church looked a lot like Sean Myers early on. And guess what Sean Myers isn't? Organized. Okay, so so we're doing all this and it's just a mess. Like, hey, am I a member? I'm like, I don't know. You look like a member. You're part of this. Okay. So, so, so we have taken the last couple months and organized where we're at. So if you've gone through the Start Here class, you say, this place is my home, and I want to be a member. What does that mean for you to the leadership? What does that mean from the leadership to you? We want to explain all of that. January 28th at 1020 a.m., right after first service, right before second service, we're going to meet in here. Now, here's the other thing, and here's where we can rejoice. Um, this year, I want to let you know where a chunk of your money has gone. Our money together, something I try to continue to put in front of us is that we're not giving to a church, we're giving as a church. Now, as we give as a church, we have different things we have to pay for, right? So my salary is paid, Josh Miles' salary is paid, we have to pay for things that go on on Sunday, John Demeter, uh, Jim Ellis is part-time. Uh, we also have to pay for this building together. There's all those different things. But when, when we get down to it, I know that the big question is always, well, what are we giving to? I, I want to celebrate that with you. Because for us, what we gave this year was bigger than our budget of the first year, which is super exciting. So um, some numbers for you that are worth um, sharing in. First, know this, putting our money where our mouth is, that if Jesus is building his church and we believe the engine of Redemption Peoria is our communities, know this. Last year, we spent $35,000 on Redemption Communities. $35,000. That means we believe that you should eat together. We believe that you don't, you don't need to have an excuse. We provide a babysitter so that you can engage in community. 
that you can be there with people and have that conversation. $35,000 was devoted to uh, uh, RCs. Now, we also have this where you can come to the leadership, <clears throat> excuse me, you can come to the leadership and you can say, hey, listen, I have a neighbor. And, and this neighbor needs an electric bill paid. Or I have a friend, and this friend needs a medical bill paid. So you can apply for those grants, right? Last year, in our, in our grants, we gave away $20,000. 20 grand is money. Now hear me, I need you to hear this, because I think you're thinking big outreach. You spent, not, this, is not, this is not anything that I spent or the elders spent. You spent $20,000 on your neighbors, on your family members, on your friends, on your coworkers who are in need. These are things that were in-house, that we, we were, continue to be on mission, that we are in these little light bulbs all throughout the West Valley. They're lighting up, hoping for people to be drawn, but also we're drawing them with the goodness of Christ, recognizing that people are in need all around us. And, and as a church, we've stepped up. Jesus is building his church. But we also don't believe that the kingdom of God revolves around redemption puria, though Jesus will return here first. Um, we also believe God is doing some amazing things outside of us. And over the course of 2017, on a monthly level, we gave away $24,000 on a monthly level. And then the year in that we gave was $55,000, including the adoption and foster care. So through the course of the year, through RC, RC grants uh, and, and uh, what we gave year in and our monthly continued giving, we gave away $100,000 together as a church. Now, listen, I know... Some of you want to clap and you don't know if you should clap or whatever. Um, so I'm going to tell you to clap. Can we please clap for that? Okay. Now, now listen, listen, there's a couple things on that. Okay. I, can't, I wouldn't be a good pastor if I also didn't take this moment to rebuke you. Okay. Um, of the 10 congregations in Redemption Peoria, we are the second lowest giving per person congregation. Now you can say it's because of all the GCU students. They don't give anything. One, you're right. They don't give anything. But two... But, but, but two, we're, there's congregations in Flagstaff next to NAU and Tucson next to, to uh, uh, the University of Arizona. So that can't be the only reason. We do not give on a large level per person. And I really believe this is a discipleship issue. I think it's, if I'm going to call you to read your Bibles, I need you to call you to recognize to give to the city, give to the work that God is doing, give to your church if this place is your home. Okay? So with that said... Um, Oh, I also, this is just a side number. Just so you know, on Thanksgiving and Christmas, somebody asked me this. We give away $15,000 worth of food. That's not in that number. $15,000 worth of food, FYI. Um, Let me share a quote with you from a guy named Martin Luther King Jr., which I'm sure you've uh, heard of him. Uh, It's in his book, Strength to Love. I think it's worth reading, and then I'm going to pray, and we will be done. It says this. Don't be afraid to defend the church where necessary. Certainly the church is not perfect. And he knew that probably more than most. It has often stood in ways, uh, stood in the way of social and scientific progress. I am often ashamed of the church, but in spite of its errors, I would hate to see what the world would be like without it. Hear me. If you go on the website and you download this podcast, the title of the sermon is God's Hope for the World. That's what the church is God's Hope for the World. I don't care how much progress we try to make in nations that outlie and and remove Christianity. The church is God's grace. It's the hope for the world. We are his tangible body here on the earth. And where we are, we fight for justice. We fight for love. We fight for peace. Where his people are, the church is. It's God's hope for the world. Believe that stuff. It's good news. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for the reminder that you move in some pretty amazing ways. And that though there are some tough spots in our history, something like the Crusades, we recognize even in the midst of that, you're building your church. You you used people in really awesome ways. God, you saw people try to take glory for themselves. And yet here we stand, uh, 12 people, 120 people, 10,000 people should not have withstood two millennia. It shouldn't be here. We should not be here. But by your grace, we're here. You build your church. You will continue to build your church. We are about you. We are about your cross. We are about your resurrection. We are about the life that you bring. We are about your ways. We are about moving sin that you hate. We are about you. You are big. You are great. You are awesome. We are spectators to what you're doing. Thanks for giving us a front row seat as your church. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.